Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. So here we go. I want to start this morning, if that's all right, with two encouragements for you. And the first one is quite a revelation. It's a pretty earth-shaking fact. And I know I've only been up here for 10 seconds, but are you ready for me to hit you with the big fact? Yeah. Yes. Oh, the tension. <laughs> the tension is palpable. Here we go. Bananas are not the only fruit. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bananas are not the only fruit. I'm enjoying this series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, for lots of reasons. But one of them is because it reminds us all, doesn't it, that fruitfulness uh, is unique. You being rooted in Jesus will bear good fruit. But that fruit doesn't have to be bananas. There are over 2,000 fruits on planet Earth. And likewise, in the kingdom of God, there's space for you to fruit your fruit. What I mean by that is that often in the church, we've reduced your fruitfulness to three things. One, how often do you volunteer in church? Two, How many evangelistic conversations have you had? And three, what direct social action have you been involved in? And the implication is that if you don't volunteer in church, have evangelistic conversations and participate in social action, the implication is that you're not then being fruitful. And thinking about evangelistic conversations, I find it, well, frankly, ironic that I'm speaking here today now that I work for the church. After years of praying for opportunities to speak to my colleagues about Jesus, I now find myself sat at my desk, chuckling and quietly praying under my breath, please God, today, give me the opportunity to talk to someone sometime about something other than Jesus. (laughs) And so, as well as bananas, I can be fruitful by modelling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love, moulding culture, or as we're going to look at today, by being a mouthpiece for fruit, for truth and justice. (laughs) Your fruitfulness is as unique as you are. Bananas are not the only fruit. And that means we have to learn to accept that small things can make a big difference in the kingdom of God. If, like me, you regularly ruin an otherwise perfectly delicious dinner with way too much blow-your-head-off hot chilli, you'll understand this, right? Small things can make a big difference. How? Because we have a great God. Somewhere between flinging the stars into space at the commencement of creation and every knee bowing before him in worship when this earth ends. Somewhere in the middle, he's using ordinary people like you and me doing ordinary things to weave together beautiful, redemptive stories in people's lives in ways that we're never really going to fully comprehend this side of heaven. Here's a little example. I went to school here, which is weird. And other than meeting Maddie, I don't remember anything. But just the other week, an old school friend messaged Maddie on Facebook and he said this, I wanted to say to you and Tim that I'm really super grateful for your excellent example of Christian behaviour at school for so long. I had a very messy road, but I'm thankful to be where I am, forgiven and striving to be more like Christ. I think a lot of the seeds that were sown were because of Christians in my life over the years like yourselves. So thank you. I don't really remember anything from school and I definitely don't remember being a particularly good witness, but... Somehow, God used us and lots of other people too to completely change his life. Do you trust God with your obedience in small things as part of a much bigger story? Being a mouthpiece for truth and justice may seem like a small thing, but blessed by God, it can really bring about big change. And so I wonder, what do you think about truth? I find truth quite tough to think about in today's culture. The prolific rise of fake news makes truth suddenly seem relative. 
Who can you trust for truth when two competing campaigns are claiming contradictory truths at the same time? Phrases like, be true to yourself and live your own truth are bounded around liberally, but I'm not really sure what they mean. Or do you agree with Robin Williams, who once said, sometimes it's more noble to tell a small lie than a painful truth? Husbands, when your wife says to you, does my bum look big in this? (laughs) Do you tell the truth? Or when you're in a job interview and they ask that classic question, what is your biggest weakness? Do you really tell the truth? Oh, I'm lazy, I'm just a terrible employee. I hate working with other people. I suspect not, but God loves truth. Blunt truth can cause pain, but truth paired with love or truth paired with grace can set people free. God loves truth. Ephesians 4 says this, Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth and speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. I couldn't honestly say that every time I've spoken the truth has been part of me growing more and more like Christ. I know I've been guilty in the past of proclaiming truth, void of love and grace. Zechariah 8 says this, this is what you must do, tell the truth to each other. Proverbs 12, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. You get the picture, God loves truth. And what do you think about justice? Well, Injustice is the stuff you see that makes your blood boil and your throat tighten. Injustice is unfairness resulting in undeserved outcomes for people. And now I know I seem to have a pop at Audi every time I speak, (laughs) but when thinking about injustice, I just can't think about that moment when I've queued up for the till at Audi for 15 minutes and I've lost that 15 minutes of my life forever just wondering who decided to set to put sort of circular saws next to Easter eggs, next to pizzas, you know. You've lost those 15 minutes of your life and you'll never get them back again. And you finally get your free items on the till. Someone nestles in behind you, you're trapped, and ping, we're opening till number four for you. <laughs> and people who've just finished their shopping are suddenly being served in front of you. Oh, the injustice. <laughs> Injustice is when an undeserving colleague gets promoted or your child gets blamed for something they didn't do. It's the fact that children growing up in care are far more likely to spend time in prison, as we just heard. It's the fact that the average UK salary would pay 176 doctors' salaries in Kazakhstan. And as philosopher and MP Edmund Burke famously said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. Sometimes, in fact, our inaction results in injustice. But despite all of this, God loves justice. The prophet Amos declared that God wants to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. And the prophet Micah said, and here is what God requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And of course, we have the example of Jesus. Jesus is for the poor, the hungry, the grieving, the suffering, the oppressed, the victimised, the last, the least, the lost, and the left out. His love of justice is unequivocal and unwavering. He declared, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight of the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. God loves justice. 
And it seems to me that truth and justice are go hand in hand. Proverbs 12, verse 17 says this, when you tell the truth, justice is done, but lies lead to injustice. In courts, people lie and miscarriages of justice occur. In society, people believe the lie that they're entitled to have abundant material possessions. And that lie fuels the injustice on the other side of the planet of the poorest people being exploited to produce that stuff. I actually can't think of any injustice that doesn't have a root cause somewhere in untruth. God loves truth. God loves justice. And truth and justice go hand in hand, which is all great in theory. But what about when the rubber hits the road? Just call into your mind. I wonder who is the most powerful person you can imagine. Have you got someone? What would you do if God spoke to you this morning and said, I want you to go to that person and I want you to confront them with an uncomfortable reality about an injustice they committed. And I want you to tell them that I am displeased with them. Whoa. (laughs) What would you do? What if God asked you to go to someone like uh, Jeff Bezos, the richest man on the planet? Would you be too intimidated? What if God asked you to go to someone like Bill Gates, a good person who's given away 50 billion pounds in the last 20 years to eradicate poverty? Would you go or would you overlook it because he's a good guy? Or what if God just asked you to go to your boss because they'd unfairly overlooked a deserving colleague for a promotion? If no one else has spoken out, why should you? If your answers to those what would you do questions are anything like mine, then I think we could all learn from a man called Nathan who modelled to us a great example of godly way of being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. And so we're going to pick up his story in quite a bit of detail this morning from 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the Bible. Before this, a bit of context, although it's been a tumultuous time, King David, the king of Israel, is doing a top-class job as king and is regarded as a godly person. In fact, in chapter 8, we read that David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. David was one of the greatest, godliest men in the entire Bible. And then we get to this passage. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Feel free to read along. The words are going to be on the screen. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, and we just need a pause here. If you're ever looking for a biblical precedent (laughs) for having a nap or a siesta, look no further. After his midday rest, David got out of bed and was taking a walk on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. David should have looked away, but he doesn't. First strike, he breaks one of the Ten Commandments. He covets his neighbour's wife. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Hello, David. Wife, definitely time to stop. But no, then David sent messengers to her. And when she came back to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed, sorry, so that's our second strike. He's just committed adultery. And then we continue. She just completed her purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. And so this mention of Bathsheba's period, at first glance, it feels like a bit of an overshare and the sort of detail that I normally try and rush past. But as my midwife wife has patiently explained to me, (laughs) if Bathsheba just had a period, 
that she could not have possibly been pregnant when she was summoned to David. And therefore, we know that he was the father. Thanks for explaining, Maddie. <laughs> David then continues his rampage through the Ten Commandments in the following verses by lying. That's his third strike. And then in a convoluted way, organising the murder of Bathsheba's husband, fourth strike. This episode shows us that sometimes confronting injustice means speaking up to good people who've made bad decisions. Until last week, for example, Jean Varnier had been celebrated as a saint. And now the truth about his life, that a man such as Varnier could have been guilty of such wrong, is a stark reminder, along with Moses, Aaron, Solomon and Peter, that God's anointed people can do bad things. And what is the result of all of this? David appears to have got away with it, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. So here is a powerful man of good reputation who's not been confronted and thinks he's got away with his injustice. But God loves truth. God loves justice. And so what does God do? Verse 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David to tell him this story. And there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had brought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. That is commitment to a lamb. <laughs> he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. That, far better than my anecdote about Audi, that is the definition of injustice. When he heard the story, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Can you sort of hear the cogs turning here? The penny still hasn't dropped, and David is outraged. How could anyone who has access to so much take from someone who has access to so little? And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Oh, oh, oh he said it. You are that man. And that's not, you're the man, high five. That's, <laughs> that's you're the man. You are the man in the story. You are the man who had access to so much and exploited someone who had so little. You've abused your power. You've lied. You've compounded sin upon sin until you've become numb to your sin. And so Nathan continues. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel says this. I anointed you, David, king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you've murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And then a few verses later, it says that then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you've shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Wow, <laughs> what an exchange. Nathan boldly acts as a mouthpiece for truth and justice. He names what David has done wrong, but brings David skillfully to the point of confession and repentance. This is a masterclass. 
The climax of the story, the crux of this episode, is when Nathan declares, you're the man. That's the moment when David might have kicked right off. Nathan is out on a limb. And I've sort of heard it preached like this before. The preacher sort of stands here and they go, verse 7, then Nathan said to David, and then they pause. They take a long, knowing look at their congregation. (laughs) They get out their wagging finger in a chastising kind of way. And then they shout louder for a little bit of extra effect. And they go, Nathan said to David, you're the man. And then they go quiet. They whisper, they lean forward and they go, and you're the man too. And we all gasp. (gasps) And then we all feel terrible. And then we all go home. And I don't think that's okay. (laughs) There's a better story here. It's this. Don't be the man, be the Nathan. Don't be the man, be the Nathan. First, of course, don't be the man or, or woman, the person in the story. If you are rich or powerful or in authority, don't use this to abuse people. If you employ people, don't take advantage of them. If you're the man, you can't be the Nathan. You can't be all mouthpiece, no trousers. But me chastising you to not be the man is only half the story. It's far more exciting to think that we could all be the Nathan. And so what does it look like to be the Nathan? It means obediently going where God sends you to find out injustice and untruth and bring it into the light. God wants to send you and I to call out injustice. But equipped with this call, before we go, let's pause for a moment. We need to learn from Nathan how to do this because he's just given us an absolute masterclass. The first thing we can learn from Nathan is this. It takes courage to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. And here are three reasons why. Firstly, it takes courage because Nathan was speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to those in authority is never easy. But David had got away with his ruthlessness for so long because everyone else had turned a blind eye and did not question his actions. But Nathan had the courage to speak truth to power. Maybe God is calling or nudging people in this room today to speak truth to power on your front line. The second reason it took courage is this. It took courage because Nathan was speaking truth to someone he knew. I don't know about you, but I find it tough to speak up to those closest to me. Nathan and David were friends. They had history. They were close enough that David then called one of his sons Nathan. It takes real courage to speak truth to friends. Maybe God is calling people in this room today to speak truth to people that are really close to them on their front line. And the third reason it took courage is this. It took courage because often the people who bring untruth and injustice into the light are rejected or attacked. Just think how Greta Thunberg has been mocked and ridiculed by Donald Trump. And Isaiah 30 verse 10 warns us about this. It says that people say to those speaking the truth, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Basically, we don't want to hear it. Just tell us nice stuff. Plato said that no one is more hated than he who speaks truth. First thing we can learn about from Nathan, about being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, is that we need to be courageous. The second thing we can learn from Nathan about being a mouthpiece for truth and justice is we must exercise wisdom. Done badly, speaking up for truth and justice can make bad situations worse. 
But in terms of Nathan's wisdom, there are really two things to consider. The first is Nathan showed wisdom in how he said it. Nathan didn't just splurge out the truth in a Facebook status. He didn't slag David off over Twitter. He didn't start a We Hate David campaign. Instead, he went to the man in person. He spoke to him, not with a crowd, not so loud that everyone else in the office could hear him. And when he spoke, he didn't antagonize. He didn't ridicule or make him feel stupid. The how was full of love and grace. And the second way that Nathan showed wisdom is in what he said. He chose his words so carefully that he was able to bring King David to the point of realizing his own wrongdoing. And he doesn't shy away from or skirt around the truth. He names it plainly. There's none of this, oh, thing is David, you remember that lady Bathsheba a while ago? He doesn't skirt around it. He just names it. That can be wise to do when it's done well. What David had done was deeply wrong and needed to be brought fully into the light. And so in Nathan, he models to us that we need to be courageous and wise. And thirdly, Nathan demonstrates that our heart desire should be to set people free. When we speak up, we need to speak up with a heart to liberate people from guilt, not condemn them into shame. The truth sets David free. Can you imagine how David's life might have unraveled if it wasn't for the ministry of Nathan in this moment? And please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that we skim past the sin, not treating the injustice and untruth seriously, or that we just forget about it. Not at all. Nathan's heart to see David set free doesn't mean that he denies what he's done. Quite the opposite. David finds freedom in confessing what he has done. David's sin had consequences for him and for others. It's serious and not to be overlooked. But our heart, like Nathan, when we speak truth and justice, should be to release people into positive change rather than condemning them into nothingness. This is exactly, after all, what Jesus has done for us. In John 3, Jesus said about himself, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And later in John 8, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. People are not set free by us avoiding injustice and untruth. People are set free when faced with the reality, allowed to repent, and despite walking with the consequences of their actions, choose to walk into the light. Could the band come up? That'd be great. I'm just going to do a bit of a recap and then we're going to finish up. God loves truth. God loves justice. Truth and justice go hand in hand. Don't be the man. Be the Nathan. God is sending you to seek out untruth and to find out injustice, full of courage, wisdom, and with a heart to see people set free. And so where is God sending you? What injustice or untruth is God showing you? Is there unfair practice going on in your workplace? Are the stories parents are peddling in the playground about a teacher untrue? Has your friend flirted with someone that wasn't their spouse? Is your boss chasing profit at the expense of other people? Are hard-working people struggling to feed their families? What is God just placing in your mind this morning? Where is God sending you? 
Let's just shut our eyes for a moment and ask God to come and meet with us again. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to read some verses of scripture over us to help this soak in. God, would you just draw into our minds in this moment as we just pause? God, just draw our attention on our front line to an injustice or an untruth where you want us to speak up. God, bring that into our minds in this moment as we pause. by your spirit we ask would you come and nudge us where we've been unjust reveal it to us now so that we can address it repent and be released and where we've been untruthful reveal it to us now so that we can address it repent and be released God if we are being the man Help us change our ways by your power. God, by your spirit, come and nudge us, stir us. If you want to send us, like Nathan, to speak up against an injustice or an untruth, show us where to go. Come and show us, Lord. And as we go, give us your courage. As we go, give us your wisdom. As we go, give us your heart to see people set free. God, let us be your mouthpiece for truth and justice on this earth in this day. Let it be. So I believe God's just going to minister to us by his spirit for a moment. And I'm going to read some words from Isaiah 58 over us. Just let these words soak in as I read them slowly. I believe God is just bringing situations, circumstances, places to advocate into our hearts, into our minds. If it helps, look at the image of the cross on the screen as you reflect, then feel free. Isaiah 58 says this. I'm going to read it slowly. Just let these words just soak in. This is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. God says, what I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. When you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and God will say, here I am. 
if you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. God, we just ask, would you come and use us? You don't have to use us because you're God. But you choose to use us because you're God. So we pray in this moment, whatever situations you brought into our minds, whatever situations you bring into our minds in the coming days, the coming hours, God, help us be courageous. Help us be wise. Help us have a heart to see people set free. And God, would you use us to be your mouthpiece for truth and justice, we pray. Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.